Hello, I'm Pastor Marshall Oaks, and I'm the lead pastor at Red Hills Church in Tallahassee, Florida. And you're about to listen to a message from our Sunday morning gathering. If you enjoy what you hear, please leave us some feedback on iTunes. And if you really like what God is doing at our church, consider supporting the ministry work at redhillschurch.com give. Thanks, and now for some Bible teaching. Okay, I'm not going to spend like I normally do a lot of time in uh, going through last week's message, kind of setting up. We're so deep in this thing now. Uh, if, you, if you want an introduction, you're just going to have to listen to the previous messages. Uh, we're going through a series of visions that John is having about the very end of days. But we've also talked about how the way the New Testament writers wrote about the period of time we're living in now is also described as the last days. So the last days are every period of time following Jesus's resurrection until his second coming, but things will escalate. They'll ramp up to a period of time that is described as a great tribulation, a tribulation that is worse than any tribulation that has ever been seen on the face of the earth before that period. But before that period of great tribulation, just before Jesus returns, there is a constant ramp up towards that. And in that ramp up, that period of time we're in now, we're told that there is an an antichrist, he is to come, but there are many antichrists. Paul talks in 2 Thessalonians chapter two about the man of lawlessness, this antichrist figure who will rise up and personify all lawlessness in one man. But lawlessness is already at work. And so what we're gonna study today is things that will absolutely happen sometime in the future. It may be soon, it may be far, they will happen, but are already starting to cast a shadow on the time that we live today. And this is one of the hardest things about reading the book of Revelation because the further you get into the book, the farther you start seeing into the future, and the more content you are to not apply anything that you see to where you live today because that's all far away. But what John is writing, or what John is communicating to these seven churches, the churches that he is a pastor over in the first century, to them, if he's only writing about things that are in the thousands and thousands of years in the future, then it is no benefit to them in the first century but he was writing to comfort them because he's letting them know that while these things will absolutely happen, they are already beginning to take place in the world that they live in today, and there are things you need to know and do and prepare for today, even though it's not the last, last days. Does that make sense? So while we read this, understand that what we're studying is something for the future, but it is absolutely applicable for where we live today, and I'll show you how that works out. Are you ready? Revelation chapter 13. We are coming right, uh, we're beginning right on the end of chapter 12 where we're told that there was this, and we we studied the power of symbolism last week, but we we talked about there was this woman, this child, and this dragon. These are figures that that, uh, John is communicating in his vision that communicate God's people, Christ, the dragon, Satan, and his work on the earth to make war against the saints of God. Well, He wasn't very successful making war against the church as a whole, so his tactics switched and he started attacking individuals. But then we see at the end of 12 that he goes to the sands of the sea and it stops. We're gonna pick up at 13 and figure out why Satan's at the beach. Let's pick it up in chapter 13, verse one. I saw a beast 
rising up out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems, crowns, on the horns. That's weird. The crowns are on the horns, not on the head. And blasphemous names were written on its head. And the beast that I saw, it was like a leopard, but its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. And one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed this beast. They worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to this beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. There's that number again, that number that signifies a period of time of trials and tribulations, but also provision for God's people. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. What is God's dwelling? His people. His people in heaven and his people here on earth. That is those who dwell in heaven and also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. This beast is speaking blasphemous words about people in heaven and people on earth that say, I'm only gonna worship Jesus. And authority was given to it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, please let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. Now, here's how I'd like to do this. I'd like to work through what John is seeing and then talk about why it applies to us. Because my goal here is not to satisfy all of your curiosity, but my goal here is to help you walk through some of the symbols and what's going on and what he sees so that you have a clear understanding about what John is warning the church about in the coming days and also in the days where he is living. So let's start with where I began. The dragon has gone down to the beach. Why is he at the beach? Well, we find out that he has gone to the beach to call forth, call forth a beast that is going to help him accomplish his plans. Now, we've talked about the importance of 
the symbolic nature of the ocean and the sea and how in this period of time, it wasn't somewhere where you went and vacationed. It was, you looked out and, and when you saw the sea, you saw chaos. Storms would just blow up out of nowhere. There was no weather channel that you could pay attention to. There was no, there was no heads up. Our hurricane was coming. It, was, it, was, it just showed up. And there was this sense that out there, it's not sturdy like it is here on land. Out there's dangerous. There's chaos out there. And so when they viewed the ocean, they had in their mind this sense that out there is a representation of all the things in the world that are chaotic and have no grounding. So in John's vision, the dragon goes to the place of chaos and he calls forth a beast out of this chaos. Now, most commentators, I would venture to say almost all commentators, agree that this beast, this first beast, is what we would refer to as the Antichrist. This is the Antichrist figure. This is the man of lawlessness that Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is, uh, this is the abomination of desolation that Jesus talks about when he's referring to what Daniel saw in his visions. This first beast is the personification of everything that is the opposite of Jesus Christ in human form. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at this beast, this Antichrist figure, and I'd like to go through what John sees about him to help us understand what John wants us to know about this figure. The first thing that comes out is that he has 10 horns, 10 crowns, and seven heads. Now this is gonna be discussed more in Revelation chapter 17. So in the coming weeks, we'll come back to this vision of the beast, and John is gonna describe, an angel tells him, that these horns and these heads are actually kings that are aligned with this beast. So this beast is the Antichrist, it is a man, but there will be kings kingdoms, nations that have given their full support to this man. And when you think about this guy, you will not be able to separate this guy from the allegiances of these other kings and kingdoms. When you think of this, it will all be one creature, but it is one human being at the head of this. He has qualities that we saw from the vision in Daniel chapter seven. So we've got a database reference. When John is trying to describe what he sees this beast looking like, the language he uses is the language that Daniel used in chapter seven. He's got like leopard and there's like there's this bear and there's like a lion mouth. These are all um, images borrowed from the vision that Daniel had in seven, and we're told in Daniel seven that those beasts were representative of the nations who would come after Babylon. So these beasts are actual nations. These beasts were Babylon, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. These beasts represented nations who would come and devour and conquer the world. And what John is seeing is he's seeing this guy as the personification, this beast that is to come will be the personification, the, the sum of every conquering nation that has come before, and he will have the alliance and the support of the current kings of different nations 
when he rises. Is this making sense? He's seeing this beast that rises out of the chaos as a puppet that the dragon will use to implement control over earth. He fills, the dragon fills this beast with his own power, and we see that the world gets drunk on worship for this beast. And we're told that the nations worship not just the beast, but also the dragon. That this beast encourages the entire world to stir up worship towards the beast, but the beast is also representation of the dragon because that's where he gets his power from. So the, the nations are worshiping this beast and they're also worshiping the dragon, Satan. And we're told that this beast, one of its heads, had a wound, it was like a mortal wound that was healed. And the nations are going wild because they're looking at this healed wound and they're saying, man, we thought this thing was dead, we thought this thing was gone, we thought this guy had been conquered, had been crushed, but look, he's back from the dead. He's healed, this is wild. And it only stirs the nations to worship even more. They worship even more that they begin to cry out, who is like this beast? This be, there is no creature in the entire universe that is like this beast, that has the authority and the power of all of the nations who have come before, before and has created unity and alliance with all of the nations current, and he was taken out, but he's, he's healed. Who can stop this guy? The nations are crying out in worship. And we're told that the beast uses his power to blaspheme God and his people. He incites the nations and individuals to support him in a holy war against Christians. Somewhere along the line, an argument is made in some backroom deal that all of the problems of the world could be solved if we just got rid of the Christians. They're the ones who won't get in line. They're the ones who are always making noise about what we push on the news or teach kids in schools. They're always the ones who won't shut up. If we want global unity, there's a group of people we have to get out of the way. Who's gonna lead this charge? We're told that a beast filled with the power of the dragon is gonna unify a nation and then a world against one group of people, those who have been marked on the forehead and the hand with the mark of the lamb. Now, why is the dragon raising this antichrist beast? Can't the dragon just do what the dragon has always done and accomplish his plans by continuing to attack the individuals? Can't he just shut down churches just by attacking the leaders within those churches and make them just crumble from the inside out? Well, he can and he's tried. The problem is that the more Christians you kill, the more Christians are born. The more you try to stop God's movement, the more the movement grows. 
And so what the dragon decides is that the best thing he could do is to create or impersonate the Trinity. Here's the dragon's goal. He wants to fake, create a parody. Essentially, he wants to impersonate the Trinity. He wants to offer the world what God has already offered the world. He wants to offer the world a savior. He wants to offer the world a savior who was wounded, but came back to life. He wants to offer the world a man who will say, if you just follow me, if you just trust me, if you just give me your allegiance, if you just give me your worship, I will solve all of your problems. Follow me and everything will be better. See, the dragon fancies himself better than Yahweh. The dragon got kicked out of heaven because he thought he was better than Yahweh. So his end goal is not that he learned his lesson, but to double down on the fact that he knows his time is short, so he's going to impersonate Yahweh and create his own son. God Almighty filled Christ with the authority to rule the nations when he rose from the dead and took his seat to make the nations a footstool, to rule over the nations. So what does the dragon do? The dragon raises up a man and fills him with his power and equips him to go and lie to the nations to take rule over the people. What we're reading here is a line-by-line -line comparison of the dragon trying to copy and offer the world a counterfeit to what God is trying to offer the world. God's offering true salvation, and the dragon is offering temporary satisfaction. You see it in the dragon crowning the man with his power. You see it in the wound that was healed. And this is an interesting illusion. If you go back to Genesis 3.15, do you remember what God cursed the dragon with? He said, man is going to bruise your head. You, you remember that? The serpent is going to have his head bruised by man. When the Christ event took place and Jesus rose from the dead, it was a mortal blow to the dragon. It was a crushing of his head. It was a defeat. But the way the dragon tells the story, it wasn't a defeat. It was a success because he found a way to fake the wound and make it look like it healed so that he can impersonate Christ. You don't have to choose Jesus Christ. You can follow this other Christ. Now, he's an anti-Christ, but you've got options. If you don't like the message of repentance, if you don't like the message of death, of taking up your cross, of putting yourself to death and telling your flesh no, being raised into new life, you don't have to follow that message. There's another Christ who would love for you to come and follow him. And he preaches excess. 
He preaches fleshly satisfaction. He doesn't tell you no, he tells you yes to whatever you want. He encourages you to satisfy the lusts of your flesh. But what he doesn't tell you is that his offer ends in dragon worship. What he also doesn't tell you is that his end goal is to turn his followers against the followers of Jesus. You think you're signing up for a team that lets you do whatever you want, and ultimately you become a slave to that team, and they start forcing you to make war on the other team. And you can't help but, your, but, but look and be so drunk on the worship of what the dragon is offering that you, you literally look at the beast and the dragon and you say things about him that are only true about Yahweh and his lamb. Who is like him? No, 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 who is like him? Who can conquer him? No, 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 no. Who can conquer him? There is none like him in all of the universe. Now this last section, nine and 10, John says, if anyone who has an ear, let him hear. And then he quotes right there in verse 10, the first section, if anyone was taken captive to captivity, he goes, if anyone is slain with a sword, with a sword he must be slain. He's quoting Jeremiah 15, one and two. So he's pulling back from his database reference. And he's saying, there, there was a, um, a prophecy where Jeremiah is inquiring to the Lord, Lord, what are you gonna do about your exiles? We're being taken to uh, Babylon as slaves and exiles. What, what are you gonna do with your people while they're in exile? And what are you gonna do to the oppressors? Are they gonna have full reign over your people to harm and kill them whenever, wherever, however they want? Is there any limit to the way the oppressors will have the ability to put your people to death? And God responds with this phrase, if anyone is taken captive to captivity, he goes, if anyone is to be slain with a sword, with the sword he will be slain. And it's God's way of saying, everyone will receive their due rewards. Don't you worry about the way that I let my people be treated by the dragon because they will be raised to life and they will be a testimony against the dragon. So don't you worry about what my people are gonna go through and don't you worry about what they're gonna go through because those who oppress my people, they will get their due reward. Which is an encouraging word to us because it removes us of that sense of vengeance we need to even the scales when someone does something against us, there's a promise from our God that that's not your business. Trust me, he's much better at it than you are. You don't need to get even because even when you try, you only make things worse and your sense of even isn't cosmic even. So let him handle it. But John uses this quote from Jeremiah 15, one through two as a call to faithfully endure what is coming on the church. 
This vision will absolutely become a reality. Tribulation is coming, a dragon is coming, and the world will worship. But the truth is that there has already been not an antichrist, but many antichrists. This is what John says when he is writing to the church in 1 John 2, 18. This is what Paul says when he talks about the man of lawlessness. There is already lawlessness at work. There are many antichrists among you. So what is John writing about the future and what is true today in the first century and in 2022? It is this, don't lose faith and don't be afraid. Hear me, that's the main point. Don't lose faith and don't be afraid. You're telling me that the dragon has a plan to raise up a man who looks like Christ, who will deceive the nations and the world, will worship a Christ figure, but it's not the real Christ? And you're telling me that those worshipers will eventually turn on me and my family and they'll come for me because of who I say I serve? Yes. That is what John is saying. And with it, he's saying, all those things are true, but don't be afraid. All those things are true, and don't lose faith. Don't be afraid of what may come, and don't fall for the dragon's lies. Listen, the offer will be very tempting. This fake Christ figure will deceive many. We're told in 2 Thessalonians 2 that when this man of lawlessness rises up, there will also be a great falling away. There will be many who have sat in the church for years but have never really surrendered to Christ. When they are offered a Christ who does not demand anything of them, they will follow that Christ right out the back doors of the church. And I don't want that to be you. And John doesn't want that to be you. And so what he's saying is right now, while it is true and it will be true, make sure that you follow the right Jesus. How do I know which one is him? How do do, do I know? How do I tell the difference? Well, there's good news because there's a whole book that tells you the difference. Well, I've, I've never read it. Well, you're in trouble. Because God has literally spoken through the mouths of his prophets for thousands of years. He sent his own son in human flesh. People walked with him and lived with him and sat around campfires and shared meals with him for three and a half years. They wrote about him after he rose from the dead. There is no shortage of information that will help you understand the difference between the true and the imposter. And if you fall if you're a sucker, if you say yes to an offer that does not preach repentance and death to yourself and glorification of the Son and not you, you're following the wrong Jesus. And you don't have to wait for the Antichrist to show up. It might already be true in your life. Are you following a Jesus that only requires you to show up somewhere for an hour and a half on Sunday morning? but does not demand that you change the way you think or the way that you speak or the way you treat people or how you handle your money or what you watch on television or what you let your ears listen to. 
If that's not the Christ you're serving, you're in trouble. And this is everyone in here, from teenagers, middle schoolers, high schoolers, all the way up to the oldest folks we have in the room. No one is exempt from the sway of the dragon. The dragon likes coming in and using the things of this world to convince you, Jesus didn't really say that. That's not what he meant. Humans changed that Greek word in 1946. That's not what that really means. The impersonation plan is not complete yet. We need a third member of the Trinity. The dragon needs another beast. Let's go to verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. So the last one came out of the sea. This one's rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. Okay, so this one carries the same kind of ideas as the first beast. It's impersonating the lamb, but it doesn't talk like the lamb. It looks like the lamb, but it doesn't talk like the lamb. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them, make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast. That's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does. It fills believers with the Spirit. The word in Hebrew for spirit and breath are the same word. He's breathing life into this idolatrous symbol of the beast so that it appears that it's living. So that it even the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. Now this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And his number is six, six. Six. So the dragon calls forth another beast to complete this unholy trinity, and the beast he calls forth is an imposter Holy Spirit. Sean, will you turn the air conditioner up? Thank you. 
The second beast is an imposter Holy Spirit, and its job is to validate and encourage the worship of the Antichrist. In the same way that the Holy Spirit serves to fill the church, to be a witness among the nations, and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He bears witness of the Son. And this second beast serves to validate, to turn the nation's gaze and attention towards this man, the beast, the Antichrist. He actually, this second beast, actually imitates the ministry of the two witnesses from a few chapters earlier, which I told you symbolically stands for the church. You see these two lampstands, these two witnesses going among the earth and a similar style of ministry as Elijah and Moses, and we see this second beast performing these same kinds of miracles to impersonate the church. And it encourages idol worship. And it actually fills this idol with demonic power to make it look as if it actually has life. Now, we're told in 1 Corinthians 10, 20 through 22, when Paul is speaking about the dangers of Christians participating in idol worship ceremonies, he tells them that one of the reasons why you don't have any business participating in those ceremonies is because what they're actually doing is worshiping demons. Here's how it works. Demons literally fill the presence of these idols to make them appear as if they have power that they don't. They're blending this weird spiritual component with the physical to deceive mankind into thinking that this creature or this idol that they have fashioned in their own image now has power. It has no power, but it appears that it has power. So he tells Christians in Corinth, stop going to these ceremonies and participating in them by eating the meat there because what you're doing is literally participating in the worship of demons. Now once those ceremonies are over and that meat is sold at a marketplace at a discount, there's nothing wrong with you going and buying that at the marketplace because buying it at the marketplace is not the same as participating in the ceremony and eating it while you're worshiping this false god. There is a big difference, and what we see here is the beast, the second beast, participating in some of the practices that have been very present all the way back to the Tower of Babel. Fallen angels fooling mankind into serving creatures rather than the creator. Guys, this is what this is all about. This is the end goal, to get you to, have, to, to stir your affections, to get your eyes off of the creator and onto his creation. And it doesn't matter if the creation is you or somebody else you look up to or the trees or you wanna worship the birds or some waterfall or rocks or an idol or, or this little Buddha statue that you got sitting on your mantle or, or some temple. Like, it doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter what you worship as long as it's not the creator, as long as it is the creation, that's the end goal. Why? Because Satan was a creation. And he wants your worship. And he does that by convincing you to take your eyes off of the creator and look at any aspect of his creation and give it that respect and that worship. This second beast is demanding full allegiance to participate in normal commerce in everyday life. The second beast devises a plan to not just create an idol where everyone has to worship, but creates a system of allegiance where you are marked as one who follows this first beast, the Antichrist, and we're told that you're marked on your forehead and on your hand. And you're marked symbolically with the number 666, or in some manuscripts, it's 616. There are some older manuscripts that have 616. So the question today is, what is this 666 thing? Because this is the question, right? This is the one that everyone's like, oh, is it a tattoo? Is it like a microchip? Is it my phone? Is it the vaccine? (laughs) I don't want any part of that. Don't touch me. Uh Uh-uh. I don't want any part of that. I think that this is not a tattoo thing, a microchip. This is not about some physical mark. I think this mark is symbolic. And the reason why I say that is because there's another mark that we were talking about earlier in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter seven. God says that he marks his people before he begins to send destruction on the earth. You remember that? He said he marks his people on the forehead and on the hand. That goes back to Deuteronomy 6.18 where he commands Israel, teach your children about the word of God. Bind it as a symbol on your forehead and wrap it around your hand. Why? Why is it on your forehead and on your hand? Symbolically, it demonstrates that the word of God is on your mind and on the works of your hands. That's why it's on your head and your hands. It's not for convenience when you're checking out at Walmart. The mark is on your head because it demonstrates to the world that your mind is set on Christ and the works of your hands are set on Christ. I am marked by him in all I think and all I do, and the dragon wants to impersonate that. So what does he do? He creates a a fake Holy Spirit and a fake Jesus and a fake Mark. His goal is to mark the world in the same way that God has marked his people because he wants possession of people because he thinks he's Yahweh. That's what this is about. Now many things that are symbolic have some physical demonstration, so it would not surprise me at the end of the age if there is a second beast who makes some physical demonstration where you are literally getting some mark on your head and your hand. That seems pretty dragon to me. But the physical mark isn't really as important as the symbolic mark. Because what we're talking about here is 
do you want to participate in our system we've created? Do you want to enjoy the, 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 the world the dragon has created? Do you want to join our team? You're going to have to be marked by us. In fact, you won't even be able to participate in our system of commerce. We won't even let you buy and sell things unless you're on our team. If you don't hold our ideology, we will cancel you and eventually come for you. That's what this is about. And we get so caught up in the like, whoa, what, what is it? Is it, like a, is it like a real mark? The reason why that is always the conversation and the reason why we can't figure out what's happening in Revelation chapter 13 is because when we start talking about the Antichrist and beasts and false prophets and the 666 stuff, it gets hijacked by people who want to make money off of it. There are, a, there, even in Christian circles, there's a lot of money to be made in preying on the fear of the world on what might come because it was written in a prophecy 2,000 years ago. And if you can get Nicolas Cage to star in it, blockbuster, because he just looks crazy. And you, you start talking Apocalypse 666, you throw Nick Cage in there, you're going to make millions of dollars. That's the reason why this stuff seems so far and distant, because that's how the dragon wants it to be. He doesn't want you to know his plans, and he doesn't want you to know his time is short. He wants you looking at him like a cartoon or like a crazy Hollywood movie that's blown overboard. But the truth is that this stuff is going to happen. It's coming to the earth. But it's not something that's just gonna happen in the distant future and we can ignore because as I said when I started, John is writing to Christians in the first century. John has one eye on the future and one eye on his churches. And as Christians today in 2022, we should have one eye on the future, preparing our hearts for what may come and preparing our children for what may come and also living in such a way that this is a reality that has already become, be, become true because here's the truth. All these things will take place, but they have already begun to cast a long shadow backwards in time. And the shadow started the moment Jesus rose from the dead. The moment he took his seat and a war broke out in heaven and Satan lost his position of accusation before the heavenly father and he was kicked down here to earth and started praying on the saints. There has been a long shadow of what will happen casting on the church age even today. And so what I'm saying is that there is no shortage today of institutions and nations impersonating Jesus. There is no shortage of political figures, nations, or entire institutions who will come to you and say, if you just trust me, I'll save you. If you just give me your allegiance, if you just change the way you think on this, this, and this, if you just decide to think differently than the way you, you have been taught from this, to 
make it a little more modern. You know, that's a pretty old book and those guys wrote a long time ago. Culture's changed a lot. If you just grow with it, if you just change a little bit, if you just modify and come over here and trust us, I promise we can offer you safety. We can offer you security. We can take any fear that you have away if you just follow us. If the flag that you fly over your home is not Christ and it's our institution or our party or our nation, we will take care of you. We want your allegiance so you'll stop following that old, outdated, unhelpful, frankly, dangerous ideology that Jesus taught. And if you just follow us, there's no shortage of that. There's no shortage of antichrists, but frankly, there's no shortage of false prophets either. There's no shortage of organizations or media outlets serving as a false prophet, promoting the worship of the state or the institution or the man. Do you see why John is giving this to us? because it will be true, but guys, it's already true. There is no shortage of this world offering you a way out that does not require you changing, transforming, and dying. There's already an invitation for you to mark yourself as anti-Christ. It happens anytime there's some new social uproar and the world demands you to get in line with what the world stands for that is opposite of what Christ has already taught. To mark yourself on social media, to virtue signal in front of everybody what you stand for. They want your mind and they want your hand. And it's not just in the future, it's already begun. So what does that mean for us today? It means that the wild thing about prophecy is that it's not just true one time. It's true over and over and over again. That's the power of God's word. It's not something that's just true a thousand years in the future. It's something that's true a thousand times until we get to the future. It's true all the time, it's always true, which is a call to the church for us today. And this is why John is giving us Revelation chapter 13. He's calling the church to discern the times and live with wisdom. This is why he says when he's talking about discerning the number 666, Calculate, understand, for it is the number of a man. Is he saying that it is the number of a literal man? Well, people all through the generations have tried to figure that out. Here's the problem. When you try to convert numbers into a name, you can make the numbers any name you want. People in the first century made this Nero. The problem is that when this was written, Nero was already dead. There was a conspiracy that he was gonna come back to life and some, some commentators think that this is what it was about. But you can make these numbers look like every Caesar for the first 100 years of the church. So if you sit here and try to rework these numbers, you can make it look like any name. 
But you can't always make the name work backwards to the numbers. So is John telling us that these numbers are gonna communicate a specific man? You better watch out for that guy, but until he shows up, don't worry about it. Or is he communicating that this mark, the 666, is tied to a man? Meaning, this beast, the first one, isn't some spiritual thing that you just gotta kinda pray against because you can't see, or is this thing that we're supposed to pay attention to an onslaught of the dragon filling human beings, swaying God's creation, and that the offer coming your way will not come in just some random ideology, it will come from a person who looks handsome and convincing and wants your affection and your attention. That's what he says when he says calculate. He's saying all of these things that are kind of happening in the corners that you see are true will all be true one day in one person who will rally the nations. Stop looking for the guy or who this is or what nations rattling whatever swords and start paying attention that the thing that is going to be true is already true and there is no shortage of people trying to infiltrate the church and get you to worship them as a celebrity and not Jesus. There is no shortage of the world infiltrating God's people and convincing them that the best thing they can do with their time is talk about the news of the day and not the word of God. To be more acquainted with what is happening outside their home than what is happening inside their home with their own children and the little world that God has called them to disciple. That's the temptation that mankind will come with an offer that sounds better than Jesus because it doesn't require you to die. And there is no shortage of false prophets who are preaching that message. And there is no shortage of false prophet churches who are perpetuating a false Christ. So what do we see? We see John telling the church in the first century and John telling us, have ears to hear and ask for understanding because you are a lampstand and a follower of Jesus and you should have no time to follow the dragon, his false antichrists, or to become a propaganda machine to perpetuate the worship of the dragon and the false Christ. The purpose of the local church is to be a lampstand in its city to the glory of Jesus, not reflect the glory of man. Let's worship. I meant to say pray, but I don't know why I said worship. <laughs> we are gonna worship, but I just gotta get caught up in the moment. Hello again, it's Pastor Marshall, and I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message. If you want to hear other messages or maybe find out more about our church, you can visit redhillschurch.com. From there, you'll find links to our social media pages, message archive, and ways you can support the ministry work. Thanks again for spending time with us, and God bless.